0: Well, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I go through times in my life where I am extremely discouraged. Anybody else in the same boat? Where are you going, oh, Lord, are you serious? Another this, another that? Why, why, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? Can't it be just better? So this morning, I want to you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged this morning from this text with this reality that Jesus turns things around. I want you to get that into your head because that's something that, honestly, for me in the past couple months, I have been struggling with. This idea that I have gotten sucked into a certain kind of fatalism. This is just the way it's going to be. The reality is, is that, according to this text, Jesus turns things around. No matter where you're at in your relationships, no matter where you are financially, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus Christ, no matter where you are with his church, no matter where you are with your job, with life and with death, the reality is is that Jesus turns things around. The most difficult situations Jesus takes those and says, don't stay in this place because I turn them around. The reality is that some of your stories are testimonies to this. True? If we would take time this morning to share testimonies, maybe that's the best thing to, to preach this message. If we listen closely, we will hear stories time and time again of how Jesus takes your life and turns it around. And I want you to get that this morning. That is the theme, that is the main punch to these these stories in scripture that God has given us, that Jesus is still continuing to do what he did in his life, he's still continuing to do that today. Jesus is turning things around. Probably one of the most devastating feelings that I have felt, and I'm sure many of you have felt in your, your walk with Christ, is that of fatalism. The feeling that this is just the way it's going to be forever. And nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is going to change it. It just is what it is. How many times have you used that? It is what it is. It is what it is with this relationship, with this person, with our finances, with the, uh, just our my walk with Christ. Well, it is what it is. Maybe it's with your depression. Maybe it's with your sense of uh, well-being, your sense of your identity. Uh, this is who I am. This is how God made me. It is what it is. It, it, it's, this is the way my spouse is. This is just who he is. This is the way my wife is. She is who she is this is the way my church is, this is the way my kids are, this is the way our small group, it is what it is. This is the way our society is, especially as we're gearing up towards this November 6th. You look at both of the candidates, you go, who's really telling the truth here? I don't care if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican, independent or Green Party. The reality is, you look at both of them, fact check says they're both liars. It is what it is. So how do we not get stuck in that, that cycle, that pattern of just buying into what this world says? It is what it is. I think one of the greatest messages of the book of Acts is that fact is not true. Jesus Christ is not dead. Jesus Christ is not distant, he is not silent, he is not weak, and he is not disinterested in this world and the progress of mission, nor is he disinterested in your life. Jesus is interested, and there is hope. So this is our theme. Throw up the theme for me, John, and just leave it up there because that's the only slide you're going to get for the morning. The theme is this. Jesus is alive, and what he began to do in his earthly life, he is continuing to do. He's continuing to do that today. And maybe that's something for you to put up on your, on your mirror. Maybe it's one of those things that you put, um, probably not on your rearview mirror of your car because accidents happen, but put it up in a prominent place. In those places where you know you are going to discourage, be discouraged. Maybe it's a place when you go to work. Maybe it's in your bedroom. Maybe it's in the kitchen. Maybe it's in those places where you silently sulk. Jesus is continuing to do these things, and he's not disinterested. Here's the reality he is full of surprises. Jesus is full of surprises for churches, for nations, for families, and for individual people. Full of surprises. And this morning, as I preach, I wanted to start training you. I know for the vast majority of us, we're pretty um, conservative, nice folks who like to be quiet during services. If there's an amen... please let it resonate because there's other people here who are going, oh, amen. I just need somebody else to say it. (laughs) Amen. So here's the reality. Persecution breaks out in the early church. The broad persecution of the book of the church in the book of Acts began back in 8 verse 1. And it's not too, too long ago that we looked at this with the death of Stephen. And it says here in 8 verse 1, And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. But what did Saul do? He laid waste. He laid waste to the church, entering in house by house, house by house, going, rummaging through houses, looking for a Christian, looking for men and women to commit to prison. He wanted to bind them up and take them out. And that's the way it was for some time for the church. And could you imagine the, the mindset immediately of what set in? It's just going to be the way it is. We're breaking family systems. We're breaking political systems. We're breaking structures. We're breaking this. We're doing this. is just going to be the way it is. And they were buying into that kind of a mindset. Imagine yourself in the church in those early days. There was no legal protection. And all the power structures were absolutely indifferent or hostile to you. There was no hope politically. You would be tempted, if you were anything like me, to start murmuring. And move to fatalism. It's just going to be the way it is. The Romans like Pilate are against us. The Jewish council, the Sanhedrin are against us. The priests are against us. And they even gave authorized letters to this guy named Saul to have us imprisoned and killed. This is the way it's going to be for some time. Nothing's going to change this. This is just the reality. The momentum is far too great. The powers of evil are far too entrenched into their systems. There won't be any peace for the church for some time. That's the way we tend to be, except for a few chronically faith-filled hopers among us. And you know who they are, right? Where you look at them and go, oh, for the love of God, do you have any clue how bad my situation is? And what do they do? Oh, there's hope for you. Oh, honey, I see it coming. It's on the horizon. You're just going, would you just shut up and let me kind of wallow in my grief and my sadness? But there's always a few of those in every church, in every small group that just go, oh, it's coming. Jesus is good. And you're going, "Mm, I'm not buying it. But the reality is it's emphatically not the way that we have to be or should be. Okay? Because Jesus is alive and he still turns things around. He's full of surprises. He is not locked into any fatalistic patterns of Continuity. He is infinitely creative and infinitely resourceful, and he dislikes very much coming across as boringly predictable. God hates that. So, suddenly, out of the blue, what does he do? He takes the key player of persecution of his people and turns him totally around on the Damascus Road. The key player. He goes for the top. Saul, who was breathing out threats and murders against Christians, didn't just drop dead, which for me in my, my mind would have been the easy way. Just God, just nab him, would you? Kill him. But what does he do? He gets converted to Christianity. And not just converted, wildly converted to Christianity beyond anybody's imagination. He wasn't just converted and just became one of those nice small group leaders. What did he do? He was wildly converted where he went around. The whole area started sharing the gospel immediately and passionately to the point where the apostles were scared to death of this guy. Is he trying to infiltrate us? That's pretty tricky if he is. Scared to death, but he was wildly, wildly converted by the power of God, so converted that he totally is turned around. Totally. From being the worst enemy of Christianity to being the strongest advocate and most powerful missionary for Christianity. Luke drives us home by showing the persecutor becoming persecuted. First and verse. In verse 23, Luke tells us that the the Jews in Damascus plotted to kill him. Plotted to kill him. The hunter became the hunted. He escapes in 25 through a basket. That took a lot of pride for a man. Hop in the basket, I'll let you down. Second, in verse 29, Luke tells us that the Hellenist Jews, the very Jews that killed Stephen, were out to kill him. And he escapes again, this time to Tarsus. And the upshot of this amazing turnaround, the, the beautiful story that just caps off the verses, verse 31, what 31 say? And so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being what? Built up. Built up because why? Not because of Saul. The Holy Spirit grabbing hold of a hard man and doing what? Turning it around. Who did the turning around? It wasn't Saul. God's a hero of this story where he took a hardened man out to kill and squash Christianity. There's hope. There's hope. Nobody would have dreamed that it would happen. And it happened so suddenly. Persecution, violence, conspiracy, suspicion, scattering, and then suddenly, out of the blue, Jesus turns things around. And that's the way he is, and that's the way we should think about life. You don't have to raise your hands, but those of you who are married, some of you, If you're anything like me, have seasons of your marriage where you go, there is just no hope. Why have I married this person? He or she, when we were dating, she was absolutely amazing. Now, who is this monster in bed with me? And vice versa. I'm not talking about Laura, by the way. But what, (laughs) amen. (laughs) Just so we're clear, she's right upstairs. (laughs) The reality is that God can take your marriage from a place of despair and hopelessness and passionless and do what? He can turn it around. He can take your workplace where you feel alone and despaired. Where you are to be pitied because you are that Christian person that has a certain work ethic. And what can God do? He turns it around. You're in a, in a church place where you feel alone, disconnected, hopeless. You've been through so many churches in your life, you can't even count them on, on all your hands and toes. Man, there is just no hope for the church, but here's the reality. According to the story, Jesus turns it around. God is doing that all over the world. All over the world. I love hearing the stories of John and Missy Camiola. You sit down and listen to them. Of two people. One being born into a high crime family. John coming from a mob family. Missy coming from a very nice Christian Protestant family. And God doing an amazing work in their life to bring them together. And not just for a beautiful marriage. But to take them, take them far away, to another country where their family is at risk. And what happens there is John is a, a phys ed teacher for Hillcrest School in Jos, Nigeria. Missy's heart is breaking for women who are in the brothels. And what happens there? God is turning things around. He is taking two people who are passionately striving to walk with him and he is doing what? Prostitutes who have been physically, mentally, sexually abused, used, and they're coming to Christ. Unlikely people. And God is doing what? Turning it around. It's happening all over the world. Because why? He's alive. And he's still powerful. You can see it in what happened in the Soviet Union. You can see it when the walls of communism drop down and all of a sudden, boom. Christianity just explodes and God says, you thought it was hopeless? Huh? There's hope and even when where communism is still at work, where persecution is deeply entrenched into religious and political systems, what is happening in the church? It is exploding. Exploding. God is at work. He is deeply at work. He is doing the same thing he was doing in the book of Acts. He's turning things around. He's reversing the course of human events. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish wisdom, the foolish made foolish the wisdom of the world?" What is he doing? He's saying, listen, you thought it was hopeless? I am taking hopeless and bringing hope. You thought there could be no change? I am bringing change. There's a certain, here's the reality, there's a certain pride in the predictions of human beings based on human calculations of human knowledge about human factors. So basically, I'm going to look at Kyle and say, you know what? There's just no hope for him. Do you know why? Because I know his family line. I know his mom. I know his dad. Oh, if you knew that story, it is a total mess. And on top of that, do you know what kind of job he has? Do you know who he's married to? I love you. It's hope. Hopeless. There's no hope and there's a certain pride that we can say i can predict what's going to happen here because i know all the factors involved write them off their marriage is not going to succeed because his father this his mother this her mother this his her father that and where they live and their financial state there's absolutely no hope they are hopeless there's a pride in such prediction that God does not like. Even when it's made by Christians. It's a kind of a practical atheism. It, is not, it does not reckon with the living Lord of the universe who turns things around out of the clear blue. But the book of Acts was written to encourage us again and again that the Jesus who began to do and teach on the earth is now alive with omnipotent power and continues to do what he began to do and teach, and he's still doing it today. He is turning things all around, all over the world, from huge political upheavals to personal periods of gloom and discouragement. The point of the book of Acts the point of the kingdom of God, the point of the Christian life is that Jesus is alive and in charge of the world and he butts in and changes things. And I'm not sure we believe it because what do we do? We start building our own safety structures, don't we? When things just look like they are going to hell in a handbag, we hunker down and we create our security systems around us instead of professing that Jesus Christ is alive and he is in the business of changing things. We isolate ourselves so far from a living God by building up these walls that protect us from the world. The reality is that those walls slowly kill us, starve us. God doesn't like our fatalistic attitudes. He doesn't like the pessimistic cycle views of history or personal life or family life. Things that say they just go in circles. They just don't go anywhere. The yo-yo of fate comes off its string and sails in some wonderfully unexpected arc through the sky. That's just the way it is. It comes back and forth, back and forth, up and down, back and forth. The reality is that the world is not a machine. It's a drama. And there is a live author director. And his name is Jesus. And this live author director can and does jump on the set anytime that he wants to. And he loves to boggle the mind of the actors who think they know the script. Just when you think you've got it figured out or you've got your safety security systems in place, Jesus jumps on the scene and goes, (laughs) watch this. I'm going to turn it around. I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus is alive. You've heard me say it probably 10 times now, Jesus is alive and he turns things around. I want you to have a kind of open-ended expectancy of your life because Jesus is alive. So verse 31 says that the church had peace and was built up. Jesus turned Paul, the persecutor, around and then sent him away to Tarsus. And then he stopped the persecution and turned it to peace. But during the time of peace, Jesus did not stop being the Lord of surprises, did he? When everything was hunky-dory and nice and quiet, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to take a break too as I give you guys peace. Luke shows two stories about the ministry of Peter to show us that Jesus was still breaking in out of the blue to turn things around. In verse 32, Peter goes to Lydda which was northwest of Jerusalem, and finds a paralyzed man, Ananias. And he says to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. And Jesus breaks into the drama of Ananias' life and turns everything around. I love it. And does it give much more context other than Peter was walking around, came around to Ananias and just said, hey, you know what? You're paralyzed, crippled man. Jesus Christ does what? He's going to heal you. Boom. Jesus steps onto the scene and changes that man's life. Verse 39, Peter goes down to Lydda, from Lydda down to Joppa, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, where he met Tabitha, who just died. Hopeless, right? In verse 40, Peter puts all the friends outside and kneels at her bed and prays. Prayer is the expression of faith that Jesus is alive and turns things around. Let's talk about your prayer life. Do you pray with any kind of expectancy, with any kind of knowledge that Jesus Christ is actually alive? Or is it more of the, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Lord bless this food for Jesus' sake, amen. And all the people around the world. Or do you pray at the bed of a loved one who is sick with cancer, praying and saying, Jesus, I know that you're alive. I know that you are able to do this. I know because you have taken Ananias, who was a crippled, paralyzed man, hopeless. And you turned his life around. You took Tabitha, who was dead. Lord, I know that you are alive because you're still breaking in into political systems, into my life, into my marriage, into my ministry, into our neighborhood. Lord, you're doing amazing things. Lord, you are alive. Would you bring life here? Jesus breaks into the scene, the drama of our life, steps onto the stage and says, there's hope for you. Do you trust? Do you have that kind of a faith? That Jesus will? It desires to break into the drama of your life and bring hope. Because the beautiful thing is, when God dramatically turns things around, Verse 35 and 42 show the results. 35 said, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And what did they do? They turned to the Lord. Verse 42, and it, Tabitha's return back to life, became known throughout all of Joppa, the whole region. And many believed in the Lord. Jesus turns things around so that people will turn to him. So if all hell is breaking loose in your marriage, in your workplace, in your church life, Jesus wants to turn those things around but not just for your own personal pleasure and comfort. So that people will come to him. They will see a powerful, living God still at work in your life. And that will be the greatest appeal to them. Now my conviction is that Jesus is just as much as alive today as he is in the book of Acts, and that he means to do a lot more, a lot more like that today than we are willing to see or receive. He has surprises in store for this world and for your life and our ministry that you and we never dreamed of. And there's so many, so many things that I could say about our plotting and our unexpected ruts and our routine of our religious life. But let's just kind of stick with the text. Because verse 31b, it needs to be where we end and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied, the church multiplied. The atmosphere in which Jesus broke in and turned things around and caused people to turn to the Lord and multiplied the church was an atmosphere of godly fear and spiritual comfort. They almost seem opposites, don't they? I hit on this a little bit last week. Fear and comfort but they're not opposites. You see, the fear of the Lord is that sense of awe, that sense of awe that the Lord God is infinitely holy and infinitely powerful and may not be trifled with. That is who he is. He is free to break in with indescribable, heart-stopping suddenness and power whenever and wherever he pleases. It's a powerful God. We even see that in the advent of Christ, where he, I'm going to screw up uh, Friedrich Beekner's quote, but when we see the God, this all-powerful God, break into our world and come into a little stall, part of us should go, oh my word. If he is willing to do that and powerful enough to do that, What more is coming our way? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what the disciples felt when Jesus had stilled the storm that was raging around them. And when Ananias and Sapphira had dropped dead, the fear of the Lord. You don't make light of this kind of God. You don't dally with him or take his name in vain or in jest and treat him like a, Like he's marginable or negligible in in life. He is living and powerful and unstoppable and infinitely holy and wills the glory of the Father with white, hot passion. You humble yourself, as Peter says, under his mighty hand. You humble yourself. That was the atmosphere of the early church. Their whole atmosphere, when they gathered, they gathered in the fear of the Lord. As they gathered on a Sunday morning, they had no clue what Jesus was going to do. They had no idea what he was going to be. When they heard the preaching of the word, they had no idea what the spirit of God was going to do in their hearts and their lives and their neighborhoods because of the proclaimed gospel. They sat under his mighty hand It was an atmosphere of the early church in which Jesus broke in with healing power and turned sickness, turned around sickness and death itself. But the other fear or the other component of this early church was that Jesus broke in with such power that they walked around in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They walked about. The verb there in the Greek is peripateo, literally walking about. They walked about in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The best picture of the Christian life where Jesus breaks in with power to turn things around is a picture of flying into the eye of a hurricane. I love watching how Hollywood shows these massive storms and if you're anything like Emily Schistler, kind of watching, was it Noah? Uh, the, yeah. What, what does it stand for? That thing. <laughs> you know, it's kind of those weather geeky kind of things where you can watch from above and you see these storms just brewing. And right in the center, what do you see? A clearing, right? A clearing. A hurricane is a tropical cyclone with winds minimally at 75 miles an hour that builds tremendous force and can destroy almost anything in its way. It's a frightening thing to stand in the, in the way of hurricanes. You know, no matter what coast it is, they have procedures. When it's coming, you get out. The Columbia Encyclopedia says this. By contrast, the hurricane eye is almost calm, experiences little or no precipitation, and is often exposed to blue sky. I love it. That's our Christian walk right there, isn't it? Walking in the fear of the Lord, this powerful, omnipotent, all-present, ready to break in, but the same exact moment walking in the comfort, peace of the Holy Spirit. So when Luke says in verse 31 that the church walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, I picture them flying in the eye of the hurricane of divine power, divine power. There's calm and peace within and blue sky of hope overhead. And there is a fearsome power of wind swirling all around so then what should we do what then are we called to be about as people who have been transformed by the power of the gospel the blood of Jesus Christ been saved been saved from hell how then shall we live We can no longer live as hopeless beings with fatalistic mentalities. I'm not saying that your place in life right now is difficult, is not difficult. Because trust me, I have walked through similar battles, similar seasons, where it seems hopeless and lonely. What must we do? We must redirect our eyes. We must rest in the eye of his love and his care. We must tremble at the wind of his holy power and be alert in our lives and in the world for utterly amazing inbreakings of his might to turn things around. Our eyes must be retrained to see the eye of the storm because the storm outside is powerful. We have got to retrain our eyes to see his in-breaking power into our lives, our situation, and the world around us. My prayer for us, prayer for me, that we let in our lives an open-ended expectancy. Open-ended expectancy that Jesus is going to act. And that we don't just trust that he's going to act, but then we move with him. I think that's one of the most powerful, scary things. God, I know you're all powerful, and I know that you're able to do these things. But you have invited me into this dance with you. He's going to turn things around, Miss Yoday Church. No matter where you're at, he's going to turn things around. And when he does, I want you to be prepared to reap a harvest. And all God's people said,